1975, Jaws was released. It is routinely regarded as one of the greatest films of all time and is generally credited with creating the concept of the summer blockbuster. In 1978, in an obvious cash grab, Jaws 2 was released, failing to have lightning strike a second time, but presenting a generally enjoyable film. In 1983, Jaws 3D was released, shamelessly attempting to take advantage of a gullible audience. By 1987, there was no pretense of quality as Lorraine Gary and Michael Caine cashed paychecks for sleepwalking through a pointless and incredulous sequel. In 2016, Paul Spatero created Is It Jaws, in which he and a group of rotating guest hosts discuss new and old movies and place them up against the Jaws scale, which ignores some elements of the actual films and sets forth a rating scale. Jaws, an all-time great classic film. Jaws 2, an enjoyable film with some flaws but worthy of multiple viewings. Jaws 3, a moderately enjoyable film. And finally, Jaws 4, a bad movie. Please join Paul and his guests as they ask the ever-important question, Is it Jaws? Ever since I got bit by that spider, I've only had one week where my life has felt normal. That was when you found out. Watch that spell where you wanted everyone to forget the Peter Parker Spider-Man. We started getting some visitors. From every universe. Hello, Peter. Peter Parker. I'm sorry, what was your name again? Dr. Otto Octavius. <laughs> Wait, no, seriously, what's your actual name? There are others out there. We need to send them back. So, Scooby-Doo this crap. You know, all this is kind of your mess. I know a couple of magic words myself, starting with the word please. Please. Scooby-Doo this crap. You're flying out into the darkness to fight ghosts. What do you mean? They all die fighting Spider-Man. It's their fate. I'm sorry, kid. Yeah, me too. Don't. Look, there has to be another way. There isn't. They're a danger to our universe. You're not gonna take this away from me. Peter. You're struggling. Have everything you want while the world tries to make you choose. This is all my fault. I can't save everyone.
They're starting to come through, and I can't stop them. December 17th, exclusively at movie theaters. Tickets on sale November 29th, Spider Monday. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Is It Yours? I'm Paul Spataro, and I am once again joined by my buddy, Sean Whalen. It's a pleasure to be here again. I'm really excited, and this is a film I'm jonesing to talk about. So you, know, you know, I, I, I find that a lot of the, the people I have on as co-hosts seem to pigeonhole themselves into to something. You know, they, they're the recent movies, they're this movie kind of movie, that kind of movie. This one is almost as different from our last one as you could be. So you're, you're going to be showing yourself to, to to be very adaptable to movies that come up, I think. Oh, yeah, I love I, I love film. Um, and I, you that's how you and I got on the conversation of doing some of these episodes together. And uh, I, I really cross the span. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a lover of film. So this is uh, a, a pure treat. And, and I, I'm glad we're doing something a little different. Yeah, me too. And uh, you know, this is one. Uh, it's, it's interesting right now because of, you know, the, the Internet mentality. And I was speaking to somebody the other day who said, yeah, it was a good movie, but if you follow the internet, everybody says it's like the best movie ever. And that's been one of my pet peeves about the internet forever now, is things seem to either have to be the best movie ever or the worst movie ever, or the best comic book ever, the worst comic book ever. You know what? There's a real large space in between those two. And, you know, I, I just I don't like the, to rush to judgment is, is my issue. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think it's, I, I think there's, there's a difference between, I think what is a great film or a really good film. There's a whole wealth of like span in that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, when you start breaking it down, actually, that's, that's one of the things I like about your rating scale. <laughs> and and it, you can, you can compliment a film and it not be the greatest, you know, of all time. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's kind of a, a good thing. Definitely. I, I and I, I've said, you know, when when you only have four categories to put things in, you're going to have a wide range within each category because there's not really only four levels of quality out there in the world. Uh, so, you know, it, it's every, every movie that's ranked as Jaws is not equal to each other. Every movie that's Jaws 2 is not going to necessarily be equal to each other, but they find their niche there somewhere along the lines. So if you if if you haven't seen the episode artwork or anything, we're here today to look at Spider-Man: No Way Home, uh, which, uh, just frankly, it's it's the first movie to get me in a movie theater since uh, the Rise of Skywalker. That's an that's an impressive amount of time, um, especially considering love for film. I mean, that's that's a, a long time. So how was it being in the theater? It was packed. It was totally full. Every seat was taken, which just amazed me. Uh, we went, the movie opened on on a Thursday night. My son had seen it on Thursday night. He came home and he was like all, you know, you could see he was like biting his tongue. And he was like, I, I really want to talk to you about the movie, but I can't until you see it because I don't want to spoil it. Uh, and we ended up getting tickets and we went on Sunday night. Uh, and, uh, you know, my son, my wife, my daughter, with the four of us went to see it. And I really enjoyed it, but I have to say it felt weird to be sitting, you know, on, on, uh, to my left was somebody who I didn't know, uh, who, you know, was not wearing a mask and I'm not especially afraid, but I just, you know, it felt very weird to me to be totally honest with you. But 
As is my want, once the movie began, I was able to immerse myself in it and kind of forget my surroundings and just really focus on the film and enjoy it. So I've seen this twice in the theater since um, when we talked about doing this. I, I saw it a second time yesterday. And my first viewing of it was the same thing, a packed house. Now, I've been going to the theater a lot uh, because I got one of those Regal movie rewards um, mm -hmm. where, you, where it's you pay a monthly fee. And really what it works out to is if you see two movies, you've already made more than your monthly fee. So what I've been doing is I'm a lot more comfortable going to the theater than my wife is. I've been going after work a lot of times to see the movies that are important to me that I want to see. And I'm finding I'm averaging two to three movies a month um, and doing it that way. And they're movies that I really wanted to see on the big screen and the discounts have been worth it. You know, it's, it's, it's paying off for me to, to do this. Now, did, did you get, did you get monthly tickets for you and your wife or did you just get the monthly ticket for you and you'll buy an extra seat when she goes? So I've got them for me. I'll buy an extra seat when she goes. Cause you get a discount if you're bringing others which is a nice part of the whole thing. And every you earn points, so, like, eventually you get a free ticket. So I've taken – there's been times where I've taken her for free. There's times where I've taken her as a discount. I'll pay for her any time she wants. She can go every time if she wants to with me. Uh, I don't think the movie pass will ever be cost-effective for her because she doesn't care about seeing a movie in the theater as much as I do. She actually loves the whole streaming thing. You know, mm -hmm. in fact – there's been more movies now where you can do like the premium price and stream it at home. Uh, so that part has been a real thing for her. She would not have been comfortable seeing Spider-Man in the theater when I did the first time because of everyone being in there. I'll admit I'm pretty chill when it comes to COVID. That was the first time where I was, I wasn't, I won't say I was uncomfortable, but I was conscious of it that everyone was there. And it was interesting. There was a father and a son who came in to my row and they were going to be divided by me because the the house was packed. Right. So I, I swapped seats. And at first I swapped seats and went like an extra one over, giving them a space between us. Then I went onto the app and I looked at, Oh my gosh, this is a packed house. So went I said, which seat is actually yours. So I sat over in that seat and we were all sitting next to each other. Uh, but it was interesting to be in a theater with that experience of a packed house, especially nowadays with multiplexes and things like that. I can't remember the last time I was at a movie where there was not an empty seat in front of me or behind me. Uh, that was out. That was like staggering. And for the fact that you went a few days later, because mm -hmm. I went the night before. You know, the, that pre, you know that night that, like, it's when it technically opens now, they always do it. Right. Like it's the, the Thursday night, I think it was. Thursday. Yeah, so I went, I went to the Thursday viewing of it, and it was a packed house, and I figured that's why it was. I'm s stunned to find out you went on Sunday and also had a packed house, which says a lot about the, the fact that people want to go back to the theater. I think that's great. Yeah, it, it, it definitely is. Uh, my, my biggest COVID concern, and I don't want to go too far into this, but my, my biggest COVID concern wasn't so much the other people around me as I have my questions as to whether or not the theater employees do a proper job of cleaning the theater in between shows. Yeah. And that was probably the biggest thing that would, you know, that, that was on my mind. But yeah, I, I was surprised that it was so hard to get tickets. You know, we, 
again, he saw it on Thursday and then Friday he was convinced me that I, you know, that I should go. Uh, and then we were looking for Saturday tickets. We couldn't find anything. We couldn't find anything that was behind the second row and we weren't willing to sit in the first or second row. And then Sunday we ended up being able to find the tickets, but we had to be, we were in the fourth row. So it was still closer to the screen than I would have liked. For me, the ideal is if I'm sitting just close enough so that the screen kind of takes up my entire field of view, but not any closer than that. So I pre-ordered ticket my, my ticket on Spider Monday. I knew I was going alone. So I pre-ordered my ticket on Spider Monday and got my seat because it's very similar to you. I'm like, I don't want to be all the way in the front. I, I want to be comfortable in where I'm viewing. Now, I did that not because I thought it was going to be a packed house. I figured it was going to be very similar to my other movie-going experiences where I'd been to movies that had done well, but they still were not, like, packed. Right. I was shocked. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely was surprised at, at the, you know, the amount of people. And I, I think it's a combination of this movie excited people. Yes. Along with the fact that people are, you know, better or for worse, tired of being cooped up. Right. So with that as our segue, what was your ant- anticipation going into this? So I had seen the, the trailers. I, I loved the first two movies with Tom Holland. So I was walking in a big fan of, I, as a kid growing up, a huge Spider-Man fan. Um, I'm 51. When I was a kid, the Spider-Man 60s cartoon was airing in reruns. Um, Spider-Man was on Electric Company. Um, that was my, and Marvel Team-Up was my jam. So it was... I grew up, this is a character that's been very important to me. Spider-Man eventually had live action on TV, Spider-Man is Amazing Friends, all that kind of stuff. I was, I'm a very big Spider-Man fan. These films with Tom Holland, when he took over, um, I, I've enjoyed all the films leading up to this. I really felt these films, I like him a lot. And I think that's really important that you like Spider-Man as <laughs> you like mm-hmm. Peter Parker. And I find him to be very likable. So walking into this, high anticipation, I wanted to see the film. I tried to stay away from as much spoilers as I could. I saw the trailers, so don't get me wrong off of that. I I didn't avoid those. I wanted the trailers were exciting for me. But I tried to stay away from anything that told me more than what I saw in the trailers, if that makes any sense. So um, I was really high on this. I wanted to know when I could get tickets. I pre-ordered tickets as soon as I could or put a pre-ordered eight ticket as soon as I could. And that was where I was at. I was just really excited to see this film. So, and that's, I think you're right on this. It's pretty important to kind of frame up what, and because if you walk in with low expectations or low interest, that also drives like, what did you feel about the film? You know, as you're going along. So I walked in with very high, um, a high level of excitement in the film. See, I try, I really do try to go in with no expectations. I do my best to do that, and I fail frequently. But I do try to go in with no anticipation. Uh, and along those lines, if I'm at a movie and they're showing coming attractions, I'll watch the coming attractions. But when I'm home and you know a coming attraction shows up on YouTube or whatever to a movie and somebody says, oh, that looks great, did you see the trailer yet? Except when I can't help myself, I will avoid it 
my my rule of thumb is if I know I'm going to see the movie, I really don't want to see the trailer because I don't want anything given away. And the example I use for that is if I had not seen the trailer, I would have been so much more stoked in Thor Ragnarok when the Hulk showed up. Mm. Mm-hmm. But I did see the trailer and I was excited to see that. But again, you know, I, I, I realized, you know, that I would have preferred that. Now, in this case, I don't remember exactly how I saw the trailer, but I did. So, you know, the, the trailer ends with uh, Doc Ock saying, hello, Peter, or whatever it is he says. So I knew, you know, that Alfred Molina was in it playing Doc Ock. And I kind of had an idea of what the premise was. And then you combine that with my son coming home being so anxious to discuss it with me. Uh, I had very high expectations going in. As much as I want to not, <laughs> I, I had very high expectations. Because to me, the biggest way to be disappointed is have your expectations too high. And I like movie trailers. I mean, it's one of the things I think I will say one thing that I find tedious in some theaters now is too many movie trailers, which sounds like a strange thing to say with what I just said. I like movie trailers, but I don't need 50 of them beforehand. A handful is always interesting to me because the one thing I do like about movie trailers is there's sometimes movies that I don't know are a thing. I don't know that are coming out or maybe I don't know that I want to see because it's a new kind of premise or something like that or it's some kind of unusual film. So I like trailers for that purpose. In, in the case of a movie like this, I do like the trailers. I don't like trailers that give away too much. And I think you're you're hitting on an interesting point, you know, as far as Thor Ragnarok and, and the Hulk sequence. I think this film's trailers were guilty of that to a certain extent. I think there, there was an opportunity to drop some nuggets, maybe without going as far as they did in the trailers, you know, and, built, and you would have built the same anticipation for this. I do think they left some important things out of the trailers <laughs> that we'll get to um, that I I was hoping they'd do, and, but didn't know for sure that they would, and I think that helped me a great deal. Um, but I get your point. You know, it's sometimes a trailer can, can ruin the surprise and the journey that you go on with a film. And, and again, if I know for a fact I'm going to see the movie, that's why I would avoid to see the trail, avoid seeing the trailer, because it's not gonna, it's 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 unlikely that it's gonna serve any positive purpose at that point, because the whole purpose of the trailer is to get people who weren't gonna come see the movie, to get them to come see it, and you know you you they're gonna reveal things that, you know, in an effort to excite people. Uh, so that's that's kind of my take on the trailers. Now that said. Uh, I really was not disappointed by this movie. I'll I'll, I'll put the uh, card in front of the horse and say that right off the bat. Uh, I, I really did enjoy this. Uh, I think it's probably a good idea before analyzing this movie to give just a kind of a quick background or breakdown of the, I guess, seven Spider-Man movies that predate this one. And frankly, you know, you, you mentioned uh, the, the, the two immediately prior to this. Uh, mm-hmm. The two Tom Holland movies, uh, they are not as necessary to the review of this as the five that preceded that. I would agree. Yeah, absolutely. It's, which is an interesting thing to say. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, what, I think I think it's worth just touching quickly on 
those five movies and the characters that we see from them. Um, I have previously on this show reviewed Spider-Man and Spider-Man 2. We plan to do Spider-Man 3 in the two amazing Spider-Man movies, but we've never gotten around to them so far. Um, I like Tobey Maguire's three. I like all three of the movies with Tobey Maguire. And uh, the third one is one of the ones, that, as we were talking about earlier, where I feel like the Internet has kind of uh, poisoned people a little bit against it. When the movie came out, I remember people saying, yeah, it was good. It wasn't great. It was good. Then all of a sudden, you know, the, the, the tide of negative reviews came in, and, and all of a sudden people acted as if it was the worst movie ever. Uh, and that, that bothered me. I thought it was an enjoyable movie. It just wasn't a great movie. Um, I have to say, with all three Spider-Man, uh, Andrew Garfield, Tobey Maguire, and Tom Holland, and I'm going to change this, I'm going to flip this towards the end of the review, but none of them totally portrayed Peter in the way that I picture Peter Parker in my mind. They all had a kind of a different take on them, on him. Uh, you know, I, I felt like Tobey Maguire was a little bit more bouncy than Peter Parker would be. Uh, Andrew Garfield was a little bit more angsty than Peter Parker would be. And Tom Holland uh, just had too much of that, uh, you know, he's got the whole team behind him kind of thing. Uh, you know, whereas I see Peter Parker as more of a loner. I enjoyed all of their movies, but none of them were, to me, the definitive Peter Parker. It'll be interesting to see and um, to go back in time and, and see a Spider-Man Zero with Tobey Maguire's Peter Parker. The reason why I'm saying that is if you think about the early parts of, I mean, I'm talking about the very early parts of that film, when he had the glasses still, um, kind of the nerdy Peter Parker. I did feel like some of that represented kind of how I saw him in the Amazing Spider-Man issues, the early ones, or his, his initial appearances, um, or even Kurt Busiek's, uh, un, he did that um, Untold Tales or Unfinite Untold Stories. I'm, I'm poorly getting the name. He did that that series that was terrific with Pat Olive, where uh, they filled in the blanks between issues of Amazing Spider-Man that I thought was absolutely fantastic. And I think he was ca- capturing that there, but it was because of the fact that it was a film it would have been it would have been interesting to see that maybe as a mini TV series or something leading up to it, like the life of Peter Parker before he became Spider-Man, because I think he was onto something there, um, giving us the Peter Parker that you're talking about. But we didn't get to see I, I don't think we got to see enough of him um, in the film. And I think it's part of the limitation of telling this this story in film. Um, I don't think we get to see enough of Peter to have that fleshed out in the way that you're talking about, uh, which which is it was interesting as you were saying, and I'm like, well, wow, I, I actually agree with them, and I think a lot of it is because we don't get to see the Peter that isn't like fully like the fully Spider-Man yet, uh, and and getting to know him and some of his insecurities and things. We get yeah. to see it, and they they do a good job of of trying to fit that in. I think the best you can. Um, in the snare, but I'd, I'd love to see more of that. Now, when it comes to portraying Spider-Man, I thought that Andrew Garfield actually did the best job of being the quippy, I'm going to make jokes to cover my insecurities Spider-Man that I know from the comics. 
The, the quippy part, I could not agree with you more. Um, I found when when I watched those movies, I, I found myself chuckling more, um, the same way that you do with the comic book. I like the portrayal of all three of them as Spider-Man. I do, I, too. Yeah, I want to say that. I And I think there's there's things that I like about all three of them in, in a unique way, um, which I, I which manifests itself. But I will agree that the quippy part of that, it's I've had friends of mine who really didn't like the Andrew Garfield movies. And I I I'm floored by that because I'm like, no, that's what I like in the comics. I like the quips. I like all that. And that's some of the things that they don't like. And I said, you guys don't know Spider-Man. I said, that is Spider-Man. That's exactly what I love about Spider-Man. They're, they're corny little quips that make you chuckle. And I thought he, I thought the writing on that and his delivery on that, I'm with you. I thought that was great. And one of the highlights of his Spider-Man. Yes. And, and, I'll say that the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man, you know, as as compared to the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man, I think Tobey Maguire had to take a little bit of a backseat to the villains in the movie, uh, in in the movies, whereas I felt like Andrew Garfield kind of transcended. I thought the villains were a little weaker in his movies, so it allowed him to kind of stand out more. Uh, in particular, I did I did not care for the portrayal of the Green Goblin in Amazing Spider-Man 2. But again, I don't want to make this a review of those movies. I'm just kind of like touching on these things. Uh, I think there's a reason we didn't see that version of the Green Goblin in this movie. What what I think was interesting about all three of them, too, is their, their focus. I will say that one thing that this movie series, I mean, each one of these movie series have done well is relationships. Because I've always loved Spider-Man's relationship with MJ. I've, uh, I'm a big fan of, of those two characters together. And I really, really found that the Andrew Garfield ones got me rereading some comics with Gwen Stacy mm-hmm. that I never got a chance to really enjoy. Because I, I mentioned earlier, I was reading Marvel Team-Up. I didn't have the luxury of being able to read, you know, I was a kid. I didn't have the luxury to be able to read multiple comics i would get an issue of amazing here and there but it was marvel team up that i was getting as i had a as a monthly subscription that came in the brown wrapper back in the day um so that was my book because of the fact that it was spider-man and another hero so i got a lot of bang for the buck i got to learn more about the marvel universe and all that from that book um but the Gwen Stacy relationship that was uh, fleshed out in those movies was something that I really enjoyed. And I think that's something that these films have done very well is developing relationships that you care about. Uh, because I think it's important when we talk about this film, relationships are pretty critical. And I think it's something that the, this film series has continued to nail. And I think it's what brings people to I think it's one of the things that brings people to the box office for this, what they want to see because they care about these characters. I think if you're just caring about Spider-Man, there's a problem. True. I agree. I definitely agree. And and it's, you know, what you said is brought out a little bit in the Garfield movies because, well, like I said, I think the villains in those movies are a little weaker. I feel like it allowed more of a focus on his relationship with Gwen, which I thought was really strong. I thought there was a tremendous amount of chemistry between the two actors there, uh, Andrew Garfield and was it Emma Stone? Uh, yes. 
you know, I, I and and I think that that was borne out by the fact that I think they were actually a couple for a while after they started doing that. So, uh, you know, I think mm-hmm. there was a lot of chemistry there, and and you could feel that relationship, and and you know, in the Tobey Maguire movies, you know, that you you felt the relationship there too, and and now you know you you've developed the relationship over the three movies with Tom Holland and and Zendaya, so you know you you could kind of compare the three. And and I think it was it's interesting you know as it came out and then you know they they allowed a lot of closure. I know we're jumping all over the map here a little bit and I apologize for that, but they allowed a lot of a lot of closure on things that happened in the movies because apparently the uh, the the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man did make his relationship with Mary Jane work. The we we got to feel the angst from Andrew Garfield about losing Gwen. And then we, you know, we saw uh, the three of them discussing it all and everything. And I thought that was really a, a pivotal thing in this movie was that it wasn't just all gimmicks that they did give you that emotion and the relationships, like you say. That's a danger with these. So you actually you mentioned Spider-Man three, the Tobey uh, Maguire Spider-Man three, and I'm a fan of that movie too, but. When I look at one and two and the difference between that and three, I think what ends up happening with three and why I think it's not as good as the other two, and I'll make this super fast because we're not really reviewing it, but is I think there's too much going on in that film and not enough balance. And I'm, I say that as a fan of the film, so <laughs> I do want to yeah. clarify that. But I agree with you totally on that. I think it's a difference between the first two. The thing about this film and why I, I – bringing it up right now, I thought this film, I thought the runtime was really important. They gave this room, this movie some room to breathe. And I was surprised by that. And I think you needed to do it to do exactly what you just said. You needed moments and you needed fleshed out moments that you could feel. And they weren't ones that were like isolated. They were ones that were built through multiple segments in the film and the pacing of this I, was a surprise to me uh, because of how much was going. I mean, there was a lot going on in this one. And I think they they found a, an interesting balance with this, uh, yeah. being able to develop what you're talking about. I, I was nodding when you were talking about the three Spider-Men. I'm like, yeah, that was I think that was being able to develop those relationships between those characters. Uh, you could have easily done the cheap shot of the cameo. And it would have lost so much for me uh, just having that because you can do those quick hits and they don't have a lot of rewatchability. Those sequences, there's so many sequences from this that my second time through, I was like, oh, man, it's even more exciting now, Um, which that's that to me is a key. Yeah, I think this movie really ran, you know, in the scripting stage, they they ran a tremendous risk because if this was put together poorly, it would just come out as gimmick after gimmick after gimmick, and it, I, I I don't believe that it does. I think it's got a heart to it that you know you didn't uh, you you couldn't guarantee you were going to get, uh, and I think you, you needed to not only have the right script but you needed to have the right director and you needed to have the right actors, and and you had to hit the the right tone with everybody. So I think there was a lot on, on the line here, and and there was there was probably a lot more room to fail than to succeed. But they managed to succeed, so that says a lot as far as I'm concerned. Um, you know, you, 
talking about all, all the things being balanced together here, not only do we have the whole Spider-Man thing, and you know we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go on, but there's a whole big Doctor Strange aspect to this. And you know that that's that's what felt to me like one of the earlier issues of Marvel Team Up, and I just you know you mentioned Marvel Team Up before, and I just think it's really cool that this had a Marvel Team Up feel to me, and such an important reason, like story driven reason why with with how we were left hanging from the last movie, which it's funny we talk we jump to like three Spider Men, but you're right that go back to this because. This is like the major crux of like what was starting in the film. It's like everyone knows he's Peter Parker. Everyone does. And we actually get to see that's a very bad thing. (laughs) And I love that they went all in on that and really showed us. That's an important piece to show us how this is not cool at all. Um, Even if you try to make the best of it, it is life changing, not just for you, but for those around you. And it shows why heroes need to have a secret identity. And I thought it was something that they really captured in this film very early on. And that Doctor Strange sequence, when he goes to him, you really are anticipating that he needs to see this man. And hopefully this man can help him uh, correct this problem. Uh, And it led to some bits that were showed the familiarity and the friendship between the two of them because of what they, their comrades at arms who've been through something major together. And it had some great moments of seriousness and, and some moments of humor that I thought was very well balanced because you need in this film with how serious the topics are and, and life's not so great right now for Spider-Man to also bring some levity into it. Cause that's part of the Spider-Man world, right? It's something that we love. It's, I, I Spider-Man cannot be beating me down all the time. I want serious topics. I want to see Peter dealing with them, but I also want the humor and I want to, you know, find that endearing quality to these characters as well. And boy, the two of them playing off each other was such chemistry. Um, that's another chemistry moment, the development of the relationship between Doctor Strange and Peter Parker. I thought, it, I thought those two actors were doing a great job. Now I've heard I've heard some criticism, first of all, about some of the Doctor Strange motivations, that he was a little too quick to act and and that it wasn't necessarily consistent and the whole thing with him not being the Sorcerer Supreme. And I've also heard an explanation that I don't know if this is fact or uh, or fiction, but I've heard that the original plan was that this was actually supposed to come out after the next Doctor Strange movie. Mm. Uh, so that they had to rewrite some scenes and change them around because of the release order. Uh, and that they, you know, they had to give some, kind of some quick motivational comments or whatever. Uh, and I don't know if that's reality or not, but I do think I, I kind of felt like some of the criticism of his Dr. Strange's behavior was overblown. It may not be totally consistent with the Dr. Strange that we've seen in the comic books, but I think it is pretty consistent with the Doctor Strange we've seen in several movies at this point. I can see where the criticism comes from, and I don't know that I necessarily have an argument with it. it here's why it didn't bother me. I, I, and I'm saying that with respect to the, I get it. I get what, what people are saying there. I think why I give it a pass, and, and I think it's important to talk about that, um, I like the relationship between him and Wong so much, uh, the, the two actors there, that 
I, okay, do I want Doctor Strange to be the Sorcerer Supreme? Yes. Uh, am I hoping that comes out of Doctor Strange's movie? Yes. Do I mind that the current Sorcerer Supreme is Wong and that they explained it because of the blink or the blip? You know, the fact that Doctor Strange was there? No. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, okay, I can go with that because I like those two together and mm-hmm. the interplay between the two of them in that sequence was something that I just like. It's I think likability gives a, a lot more elasticity <laughs> to to something that might be an issue if I didn't like them as much as I do. Um, so I get the criticism, and I don't really have in my end where I'm like saying, oh, I've got an argument for that. I don't know that I've got one for it, other than the fact that I can say it didn't bother me because I like them so much that if you put them on screen and tell me that you're going to uh, hopefully eventually tell more of that story – and we have I'm hoping I guess I was hoping in the next Doctor Strange film we get some resolution of that. And if not in that one, maybe the one afterwards, uh, because I really enjoy the characters. So that's where my head was at in that sequence. Uh, not so much that I was like, hoorah, he's not Source of Supreme anymore. It was more, OK, I want I, I do want more of that story. <laughs> Let's not like put that on the shelf. And I hope we get more of that. Interesting that you're that. I didn't read about the release order. Uh, I'd love to read more about that now that you've mentioned. I think it's an interesting comment. Um, If the release schedule is, in fact, something that was switched and they had to rework those scenes, I would love to see, and I hope maybe when we get the home release, if there was a deleted scene like that, be nice to see what the scene should have been or was going to be. For comparison, yeah. I don't know. If, I don't know if they filmed them, or you know. Again, I don't even know if the story I heard was apocryphal or not. But sure. uh, if if even if they didn't film it, I agree with you. I would like to see the script. Then, what were they going to do? Yeah. Or sometimes they'll do. They have it. You know, they've done the storyboards, and they'll like animate the storyboards. Uh, Disney does this a lot where there's sequences that were lost and they do it more with their classic movies than anything else where the music was done, but like there was a sequence that was storyboarded that like was cut because of time or they sat on a different song and you get to see that sequence play out. I'm hoping that if this film had at least it storyboarded, then maybe we get to see the storyboard of it. I'd love to, I love stuff. If, if that is a thing, I love stuff like that. I, I like seeing what could have been. And yeah, I do too. I do so too. I, I totally agree with you. If it's a thing, I hope we get more. I hope we get something that like shows us some element of whatever they can show us. So, as as our villains in this, we effectively got one villain from each of the Maguire and Garfield movies. We got from the first movie, we got the, uh, Green Goblin. Mm-hmm. Second movie, we got uh, Dr. Octopus. Third movie, we got the Sandman. First uh, Garfield movie, we got the uh, Lizard. And from the second, we got Electro. Now, as far as that goes, I think the, the points that were most, most stood out to me was uh, knowing how long it is between when those movies came out and now. I can only imagine that the CGI people did an incredible job with uh, Alfred Molina and uh, with uh, Willem Dafoe to make them look basically kind of around the same age they were when they made those movies. 
I, I just find that to be phenomenal. Uh, I've heard some speculation that uh, what's the uh, two actors uh, that played uh, the Sandman was uh, Thomas Hayden Church. Thomas Hayden Church. Uh, that Thomas Hayden Church and then uh, Reese uh, is it pronounced Efans, uh, who played the uh, score the uh, lizard. That the two of them were not actually on set. That that they were uh, you know CGI creations combined with voice acting and uh, you know I don't know if that's true or not, but it does seem like it could have been considering the uh, the fact that the Sandman is in his sand form like 99.9 percent of the movie and same thing with the lizard and his uh, thing, uh, but then it made him it, it's got it has to have made it easier for them to not have to de-age them by having them in those forms as well, so. You know, I find that all interesting from a CGI perspective. And then the other thing, the one that stood out the most to me, the point that I'm leading to here, is Jamie Foxx's Electro. I feel like he totally rehabilitated that character who was less than less than satisfying in Amazing Spider-Man 2. Yeah. Uh, but I feel like here he was totally satisfying. He, he, you know, the fact that he came back, you know, he's an Academy Award winner now, and he came back to, to reprise a role that kind of was poo-pooed by people in general. Uh, and he came back, not only did he, did he was he willing to, to come back, but he came back and he owned the part as far as I was concerned. So, you know, hats off to him for that. I agree. And, and was actually pretty pivotal to those sequences because he was going through this kind of crisis of, uh, you know, being intoxicated by the whole thing. And I thought that was something, I thought each of the villains were very true to their nature that we saw in those movies. And we got to see them continue to grow and evolve in this film because of the unique situation that they were put in. And uh, well, and, and I should I should quotes around villains because uh, there's there's certain journeys that like Doc Ox that are are interesting in this whole process. But I loved seeing his his whole journey in this mm-hmm. process. And I'm with you. I, I felt like it it like expanded the character. And pro- I have not rewatched that movie yet. I'm going to be curious to rewatch that one now. The second Amazing Spider-Man. Having seen, actually, I finished watching the first Amazing Spider-Man again and watched the second Amazing Spider-Man to see how I feel about these characters now that I've seen them in this, you know, where they've they've kind of evolved uh, and, and continued their story. Because I feel like it's a far more satisfying ending for a lot of the characters. Um, and that's not knocking the, necessarily the films that came before, but boy, did there there was a progression in this that I thought was really important. Because again, like I said earlier, these could have been cheap cameos. That would the, this what makes this movie to me is the amount of time they gave to develop even those. I mean, a lot of characters on screen and a lot of development for all of them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and you know what you said it also rings true to me about that that it gave like a more satisfying ending to some of them. Uh, That also went to Tom Holland's motivation in the movie uh, when he actually combats uh, Dr. Strange because he doesn't, he wants to give them a better ending. 
Uh, and that's that's really felt like, you know, again, gave me that Marvel team-up feel when the two of them actually fight each other uh, over that and, and uh, what goes on and then, you know, the fact that he actually wins the battle, which is kind of cool. Uh, but, you know, his, his motivation is pure, and eventually Doctor Strange says, yeah, you know what, you were right. So I, I liked that aspect of the movie. I think it also shows his relationship with May and how much he does. I don't, in true reality, we don't always realize how much our parents influence us, right? And sometimes we rebel against it. Sometimes, you know, it's we think it's more surface us listening to them than it coming from the inside out. I felt this film did a great job of showing that with him coming from the inside out. And he may not have been able to put that stamp on it at certain times in the film. But I felt like that was very much a May thing that May would do, like her response to it. And I I think it's interesting when you look back at these different Spider-Man films and you take a look at the unique relationships with with the different Uncle Ben and a different Aunt May. They all have an, a pivotal impact on their respective version of Spider-Man. But there are some variations to them that are subtle, but impactful. And I thought this film really showcased his relationship, and needed to showcase his relationship with May uh, because of where it ultimately goes. But I thought that motivation to cure and, and make a better ending for these villains than just sending them back to die, uh, I thought was really cool. That he was, and I like that it wasn't just him. It was him and his friends that are like, uh-uh. <laughs> like, <laughs> hard stop. Because the cool part was seeing that with, with MJ and with Ned Leeds as well, that they, all three of them were in on like that, saying that this can't go that way. So it was a, it showed like his friendship group and the importance of that friendship group in a way that I thought was really unique to this film. And that's not knocking any of that from before because there's things that I like about his friends and those relationships in the other films as well. But I feel this Spider-Man has a unique friend, like the Ned Leeds relationship and the, this MJ's relationship. It's a little different than the ones that we've seen in the others. And I'm glad that they embraced kind of like this idea. Well, it's the multiverse, (laughs) you know, there's a multiverse here that is, is causing that. And it was nice to see that being a driving force that it didn't take two other Spider-Man to start down that path. They were already going down that path. Yeah, it showed a level of maturity and, and heroism for yeah. not only for Spider-Man, but for his core group. So I, I, I agree. I think that was, you know, that was a really good thing. Now, in a movie that gave us so many geek moments, so many so many things that could be considered, you know, fan uh, fan moments, uh, I got greedy. Uh, I thought it would have been really cool to have a to have uh, a cameo by uh, Sally Field as Aunt May. Oh, agreed. But uh, you know, who knows? Maybe they approached her and she didn't want to do it. I, I don't know. Uh, but I, I just thought that would have been cool to to, to go that way as well. Uh, what did you think of them, you know, by the way, spoilers, everybody, uh, what did you think of them killing off Aunt May? I, I was upset, like the way that you should be. Uh, I, I think at that point in time in the film, it's not, not what I wanted, but 
yet I thought that they did it so well. And I thought what it did really drove a some powerful moments that came afterwards in the film, some human moments. What I like about Spider-Man as a character is that Spider-Man isn't perfect. Spider-Man makes mistakes. Spider-Man's human. He, I think where I've always liked what I've gotten out of the character from comics and it's carried over into my favorite films and my favorite cartoons and everything is sometimes when you see Spider-Man really get it wrong and him picking up the pieces and doing better. And that came up in this film. I'm trying to do better. Uh, Toby Maguire said it at one point in time in the film. You know, I'm, I'm trying to do better. And I'm probably poorly paraphrasing it, but it was that idea. And I thought it was something that we saw from Tom Helen, Holland's character in this as well. And I think it was driven by Aunt May. I was angry about it because I care about the character. And I care about her relationship with Happy. And, like... I care about her relationship with Peter. It was more the relationship with her and Happy, strangely enough. I saw him there, and I'm like, oh, man, Um, which is really the important thing in this film because I just talked about the fact how much I love the relationship between Ned, Peter, and MJ, but I also love Happy Hogan, and I love his relationship with May. And I'm like, no. (laughs) I thought it was so well written, um, myself. So what did you think? Um, Because... I'd love to hear your thoughts. See, I, I I mirrored you on the fact that I was saddened by it in the right way. You know, it was because it was a sad moment in the movie. So I was sad to see her go. I, I, I like Aunt May being portrayed as a realistic age to have a nephew that age. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe Marissa Tomei is like 57. Uh, as opposed to, you know, the Aunt May we had in the comic books where, you know, <laughs> she she could be from you know you can get her out of some sort of Egyptian tomb she's so old looking in some of them uh, so I, I always felt that th- there was something about that even though I always liked the character I always felt there was something unrealistic and then eventually you know in the 2000s they decided to 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 give her a little bit you know more of a, a youthful look than they had in the past which I thought was appropriate and now they did it in the movie as well where they brought in a, an, an actress who was relatively young when they did uh, civil war her first appearance as aunt may she was probably around 50 uh you know again i thought that was she was age appropriate for the character i think they did a good job of building up the relationship between her and peter and showing how she was basically a mother to him uh and then in her passing which as sad as it was it gave Tom Holland, his Uncle Ben moment, because Uncle Ben was never in the Tom Holland movies. You you always had the sense that he did have something with Uncle Ben, because uh, I think in Civil War he says something to the effect of, if you can help somebody and you don't, you've, you know, you've failed, or something along those lines, you know, which is really just a, a paraphrase of, with great resp- power comes great responsibility. But to give him that moment of actually losing somebody, but have that person tell him he did the right thing, even though he lost her because of it, uh, you know, it kind of flips the paradigm for the Uncle Ben moment, but it gives the same weight to it. So for that reason, I, I thought it was a, a very powerful scene, and you know, I can't criticize that. Uh, my only sadness comes that I liked her character, and she won't be in any more of the movies. 
I was glad that they didn't feel the obligation to do that in the first movie. Because I, I didn't necessarily, I didn't, I don't know that I necessarily needed to see it in this film. I appreciate why they did it and what it did for the movie. So that's not a knock on it. I'm, I don't mean it that way, but I also appreciate the fact that they could have done that in the first film as some kind of motivator for him or to kind of, you know, to have him have his uncle Ben moment, or they could have done some like unnecessary cheap, like uncle Ben moment in the first film to kind of, even the playing field, so to speak, you know, giving him his Uncle Ben. I was glad they didn't do it. And I was glad that they waited to this film and used it. It wasn't a throwaway, certainly. I think I would have been angry by it if it had been just like a cheap way to get that line in the film. Mm-hmm. You know, to, and and instead it, it really led to an anger in him that he'd already been through so much. Then this happened. And it led to an anger that would would drive some very powerful moments later in the film that you're like, okay, this was not a throwaway. They did this. There's a real story-driven reason why they did this. And uh, that's where the emotion kind of took me along with Peter in the ride. I think that's really important. I felt like I was I, – I, I felt bad for Happy. I felt bad for Peter. I was riding along with them. I was glad to see people comforting him on it. And it having a real important impact on the film that it happened. Right. I, I definitely agree. Um, yeah, the, the anger part of it that we get to later. And again, we're kind of jumping around. I understand uh, we're not going sequential on the movie. But when he has the opportunity to kill Norman Osborn for what he did. Uh, and he's going to. He was going to kill him. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man stops him. Uh, you know, that's a, another growth moment for the character, but it's also another very realistic moment because, quite frankly, in the same situation, <laughs> I would have no hesitation to kill Norman, Norman Osborn for what he did. Uh, so I, I thought that was all really cool. Now, I did have some real problems when I thought they were killing the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man then. Oh, yeah, I was worried about that. I thought the same thing. I'm like, ooh. Um, and that I would not have appreciated. There was no, yeah. I didn't think there was a good plot reason to do that. Yeah, I was, I was very, I was very, it, it's funny. You and I had the exact same reaction. I would, that, that I would have been angry about. Like, why did they do this? It wasn't needed. Uh, it's funny. I'm protective of Aunt May. It sounds like we both are. Like we, Marissa Tomei as Aunt May was she rocked. So <laughs> I was very sad for that to happen because I would have loved to have seen another film with her because I just enjoy following the character. But boy, you're right. If they had done that with Tobey Maguire, um, I think it would have changed. I would have changed that sequence drastically for me because uh, I, I needed him to get out of. There, I, I was glad that they turned some of that into comedy moments later, um, or at least chuckle moments, with the fact that he was okay and you know here. I've been stabbed before. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I was glad to see that. I was you, you and I shared the same worry because that I would have definitely had a very different reaction to that. Yeah. Oh, no question. What did you think? I think this is one of the key things in the movie. What did you think about the interaction between the three of them, especially the the small talk? Or not even so much the small talk. Sometimes when they got into much more uh, in-depth and personal talk. 
what I loved about that, particularly with Andrew Garfield, you know, you were talking earlier about um, good Peter Parkers and what makes a good Peter Parker. We got to some of the securities of Peter Parker with the Andrew Garfield. I've always wanted to have brothers. Um, so I think one of the key pieces of that was I, I think we got to see Andrew Garfield have a P- very Peter Parker moment, right? Because when he's Spider-Man in the mask, a lot of times there is he exudes like that humor. And that was something that was a trademark of Andrew Garfield. And you don't see the insecurities of Peter Parker. Peter, one of the things that's great about him is we can relate to him, right? He's human like us. And what makes him so likable is the fact that Peter does not think of him as a suave, as himself as this like suave, cool guy. Peter really questions his place in the overall social structure of the world. So when he's like, I've always wanted to have brothers and, uh, you know, kind of questions his choices along the way. And even he's like, out of the three of us, I'm kind of the, you know, Spider-Man that hasn't had like the coolest villains. Like you guys both fought aliens. (laughs) My rogues gallery in comparison isn't so cool. And like, listen, no, 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 man, you're amazing. (laughs) I love Tobey Maguire being like, kind of the parent Spider-Man out of the back. Right, right. And um, the youth pastor, I think they called him at the one point in time because of his, his dress. Um, and I loved that he kind of was embracing that role. It felt very natural that he was the older Spider-Man at this point, kind of is given the, no, you are amazing. Come on, say it. You're amazing. <laughs> and the interactions between the two of the, between the three of them is I think one of the key pieces of this where I have a lot of respect for what this movie was able to do at the time because it would have been enough to have the cheap moments of them coming in and saving the day, so to speak, you know, where Tobey Maguire swings in and, you know, he takes down the gobbler, takes down some other villain, and Andrew Garfield takes down another one. They didn't need to develop it as much as they can. They could have done the cheap pop, if that makes any sense. Instead, they developed this relationship with the three between the three of them that you're right. I would have been angry if Tobey Maguire had died in this because of the fact that this relationship was so well developed between the three of them. I love the three of them together. Um, and I think it was pretty key that those moments were them working as scientists in the lab together. Uh, all of those and everyone else's reaction of it's so weird to see the three of you here. I thought was great and, and and very necessary to my enjoyment of this film. And I, I thought there was also, I thought very clever uh, to throw in the fan moments uh, of having them say, well, those webs come out of your hand, out of your wrist. How do you, how do you do that? You know, <laughs> we have to mix ours in a lip. Is there any other part of your body that it comes out of? I thought that was great. And it's the kind of thing that, you know, the fans are sitting there saying, you know, well, how did he, you know, how did you justify that difference or whatever? And they just, you know, they, they came out and they embraced the thought that these are different realities. And every reality has a little bit different, uh, you know, to, to relate it to, to DC. I mean, it had a real Earth 1, Earth 2 feel about it. And took something that was a bit of a controversy when the Toby McGrath, I mean, it wasn't anything that, like, I think caused a lot of negativity at that time, but there were people who did not like that from the original movies, and I was glad to see them kind of have some fun with it. Yeah, definitely. I thought that was really cool. Uh, and, and also, the you know, the fact that it allowed 
Tom Holland, the youngest of the three Spider-Men, to effectively kind of become their leader uh, because he's the only one who had worked in a team atmosphere of the three of them. Uh, And then they even have the dialogue of, oh, you're an Avenger? Oh, that's so cool. What's the Avengers? You know, that whole thing. Uh, But, you know, he, he ends up being the one that they're not really acting successfully together because they're not you know working off of each other and he has to explain to them no we have to work as a team and then they do and now all of a sudden they start getting some success in how they're proceeding and eventually they do administer the cure to the different people and we have doc ock who kind of walked off with all of them when they you know when, when things fell apart but clearly he remained cured because now he comes back and he helps them which I just thought was great. One of my favorite lines between the three of them was, the Avengers you were part of, that's great. What is that? Yeah. So many cool moments there. I mean, I, I, before we uh, go much further, are there any more thematic things that I'm missing here? Flash Thompson, uh, that relationship, because he's a character who, boy, suppose, and you're not supposed to like him, such a turd in the earlier movies. <laughs> uh, in this movie, I love that he's kind of evolved too, where he's kind of a friend of theirs, but which happens in the comics too. He's kind of a friend of theirs, but still has elements of Flash Thompson from the earlier films. I think that's somebody who I was glad they took time to continue evolving that character. They did a really good job with him, and he served a real purpose in this film. Yeah, I think they've done some interesting things with his character in these Tom Holland movies. Uh, you know, changing him from the football hero into, uh, you know, he, he is almost a, a little bit of a nerd himself. And he's not a big guy, but he's still a, you know, he's more of a, like an internet bully uh, to Peter. Uh, and then, you know, the same as, as in the comics, he idolizes Spider-Man just the same. So now all of a sudden it's like, oh, you need a favor from me? Well, then you got to, you know hang out with me and web take me web swinging and whatever it is. Uh, so yeah, I, I enjoy his character and how he was portrayed in, in this movie. might've been interesting to see, see the flash Thompson of, uh, the Tobey Maguire movies come out, uh, in this one only cause what a, what a contrast between the two characters. I also think the important uh, theme that was in this was the idea of continued life growth for these kids, you know, they're, they're getting older and they've got to start thinking about their future and part of their future is going to school. The whole, like, because Spider-Man's identity was out there and they are associated with Spider-Man schools didn't want to touch them with a 10 foot pole, at least the schools that they wanted to go to that they had certainly worked hard during their youth to get to that point where they could go to these schools and choose the school that they wanted for these kids, this was their chance to get out of a world where they're like, we need scholarships to be able to get here, you know, and that type of thing. And to see that be something that came in there to the point where Peter's like recognizing what this has taken away from his friends and feeling a responsibility towards that, that plays into where the film goes in the end. I thought that was something that they sprinkled throughout the movie in a way that was pretty critical to the the final outcome of the movie. Uh, and I, I really thought, I, I 
I applaud how they were able to do so much in this film with progression. See, now, what they did at the end, and I kind of alluded to this earlier, uh, they took Tom Holland and kind of turned him into the Peter Parker I know from the comics. And they, they made him a guy who is, who is not downtrodden, but knows that things are against him. And now all of a sudden, after having Tony Stark provide him with all this, uh, uh, you know, high tech stuff and having MJ and, and Ned, uh, helping him, you know, being the guy on, on the, uh, what is it, what they call him? The guy at the computer or whatever it was. He called him in the first one. Uh, the man in the chair or something. Man like in that. the chair. Yes. Uh, you know, he had, he had this whole support system that the Peter Parker I know never had, mm-hmm. uh, and now all of a sudden that was taken away. That was stripped away from him at the end of this movie. And he became kind of the Peter Parker I know and love. So it's going to be interesting to see where they take him from here. And I think and that's some, that's such a cool thing is that they, they give me anticipation for where they're going to go. And selflessly doing that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, a big question that came up, and I've heard people talking about this and I've heard different opinions on it. Uh in that scene, when he comes in and he's practicing what he's going to say and then he decides not to, mm-hmm. in his absence from their lives, did MJ and Ned become a couple in your mind? So it seemed like they were teasing it, but I'm not sure. So I, I saw that I saw the same. I could see it being that being one path. I could see it also that him seeing that they were friends and that they're moving on and they got what they wanted and his being a part of their life kind of took them away from that and being content at seeing these people that he loved get loves, get what they wanted and not rocking that boat for them. Yeah. That's, that's kind of what I saw also. I didn't, I did not see them as a couple. I saw them as very good friends. I, I get why people, would see that because I I saw like a possibility that I think it's more of a I think for me it was more of a fear of that than anything else. But uh, yeah, I can I, I can see how people got there because I will admit my mind went there, but wasn't like that's definitely what's happening here um, in the scenario. It was more of I think because of their closeness to each other as friends would be, and having no knowledge of Peter definitely looked like there was much more of a loving relationship between the two of them than Peter, but that would same can be true set of uh, any two friends. Right. So I get it. Uh, I, I don't want to see that. <laughs> yeah, no, neither, neither do I, frankly. Uh, I, 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 you know, at that point, I think it's left to your interpretation and I'm going to interpret it the way I want it to be, and I want them to just be friends. Well, I'm hoping it doesn't lead in a later movie to Ned becoming his villain that he promised he wouldn't become. Yeah. So uh, the one other note I had on this that I I would feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't mention is the cameo appearance of Charlie Cox as Matt Murdock in this. Oh, yes. I That was a geek moment for me. I just thought that was very cool, especially when he catches the brick. Mm-hmm. So I, have, what did I think he said something like, I have very good reflexes or something to that effect. Uh, 
just re- you know really really cool to to bring him into the MCU. Uh, you know, spoiler uh, again, I kind of anticipated that he might make an appearance in the last episode of Hawkeye. Uh, you know, and, and team up with Hawkeye as Daredevil, which I would have had me totally geeking out. Sadly, he does not. Uh, but I thought that would have been really cool, and I just enjoyed very much seeing him in, in here, and I hope that they don't squander this opportunity. I hope they do work him into something. Oh, I'd love to see him in, like, another Spider-Man film. Be geek out to see Spider-Man, Spider-Man and Daredevil team up. I would love to see that, you know, if it makes, if it makes sense. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that they should make a Daredevil movie. Uh, although I have to say the, uh, the three seasons of Daredevil on Netflix... I thought were all outstanding. Oh yes, uh, especially actually the third season I thought was the highlight of the three. So I, I would definitely like to see him, uh, you know, be in be in that character some more, and and see a little bit more. I would love to see him interacting with a lot more of the Marvel people. And you know, again, spoilers, but in the uh, Hawkeye uh, series, we did manage to see uh, Wilson Fisk. So uh, the door is open. Yeah, what I was glad about this is it's set into canon that they're part of the MCU. Yeah, so it, and again, it, it, to me, it just opens the door to all sorts of things that they can do with the characters. Um, before we go to our ratings, any any other points that you think are uh, worth making? We get to talk about the end scenes at all, the end credit scenes. Well, we, we had the, the two scenes. Now, the first one, I have to tell you. It's not for any uh, unwillingness to see it, uh, but for whatever reason, I still have not seen Venom or the sequel. Uh, I've heard they're not bad, and I, I do intend to see them at some point. I just have not gotten around to it. So that, that first one, I kind of had to, to look at for a while to figure out exactly who, who it was. Uh, I did think it was a cool scene. I'm not sure exactly how he's going to fit into the... Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't expect to see him in the MCU. I think you, you're going to see him more with the, uh, you know, the Morbius movie or something like that. Uh, and the second scene felt to me purely like a commercial for the next Doctor Strange movie, which, you know, is cool, but, you know, it didn't, it, it wasn't a geek moment for me. What'd you think? It was. I was a fan of both the Venom films, so the Venom piece had me geeking out more. Does the fact that we may get either Peter Parker, Spider-Man in the Venom movie, or get Venom in a Spider-Man movie? I'd love to see the two of them interact at some point in time, uh, just because I, I like that relationship between the two of them. Uh, I was with you on the. I was strangely. I don't want to say I liked the Doctor Strange trailer. I was disappointed that it was a trailer, just because. I usually like these. I'm very used to them being more what the Venom one was, where it was like this little teaser that makes you go, oh, where are they going to go next? You know, or what's going to happen next with Venom or what's going to happen next with this character? So I like that. The I want I was already in on the Doctor Strange movie. I imagine most people in the audience are going to be in on it just because of that. I think that may have been a way to maybe some fans of Spider-Man that, didn't know about the Doctor Strange film, I think, to like maybe draw them into it. But I think you already did that by having them in this film. Yeah, I agree. So I would have loved to see a second end credits scene that was more a teaser of, of something else. 
but I, I didn't hate it. I it was it was good. To, I stuck around for it, and certainly I didn't sit there and go, "Oh, this is a trailer for Doctor Strange. I'm going to go leave." I ended up seeing the whole thing. Did you stay so, around for it the second time? I did not. Okay. Um, the second time around, I, I didn't. Actually, I will say the second time around, I didn't stay around for either end credit scene, which is not like me. Which is that's a great question because uh, it wasn't because I disliked the Venom scene. It was kind of I was done and satisfied with the ending of the movie, and I just left because uh, it's a long movie. So uh, it's it's interesting. That's a great question. No, I did not feel the need to see them the second time around. I think, you know, I mean, again, I, th- I thought they were fine. I think we were in the same ballpark as far as what we thought of it. Uh, but had it been a true geek out moment, I think you would have stayed. <laughs> oh, yeah, 100%. I agree. So that I think that, that kind of speaks volumes for, you know, it, it was fine for what it was, but it wasn't the, you know, it wasn't the thing that just made you totally so anticipating what's going to come next that you wanted to see it again. Right, right. I, I, you know, I only saw the Avengers once in the movies, but if I had seen it a second time, I would have stayed to see the little quick cameo of Thanos because it got me stoked. Yes. So in this one, I think I would have done the same thing you did. I think I, I may have considered staying for the Venom scene, but I guarantee you if I saw it a second time after the Venom scene, I'd get up and walk out because I don't need to see the Doctor Strange trailer again. And that even goes to what we talked about earlier where I don't feel really a need to see trailers before I see a movie only because I don't want to see too much. So if there was something I missed the first time, I don't want to catch it now because <laughs> I want to be surprised by it when I see the actual movie. Yeah, I definitely say out of the two of them, I prefer what they were doing with the Venom one much more than the trailer at the end because I, I like the ones that lead you into future stories. Yeah, I, I agree totally. So all that said, and this has been a fun conversation, we probably could find other things to discuss and tear apart in this movie or tear apart in a loving way. Uh, but all of that said, where are you placing this one on the scale? Wow. Um, it's a tough one. Um, I would say as a film overall, I'd probably place it at Jaws 2. Um, and and my reasoning for that is I it was really a great film, and Jaws 2 is a great film to me. So I, I really love it in that end. This is going to be a rewatchable movie. I know I will watch it over. I've already pre-purchased it, so I, I got it to own it because I, I know I will want to watch this over and over again. I where I'm wavering on that the fan service moments geek it up to maybe Jaws one, but I know it's because of that. So if I'm rating it just on as a movie, what I think I'm probably going to give it Jaws two, with the fact that I'll put I'll put an asterisk over that saying there is extra credit to be had <laughs> for this film that um, it will encourage my rewatch. That's you know, where I'm at. You know, Sean, I. I think i figured out why i don't like you on this show mm-hmm. and i think that's because we agree with almost everything that we say so far and and it doesn't give us the opportunity to debate anything <laughs> so because because i i pretty much agree with you totally on that and and there was you know there was a moment where i had to battle the immediacy prejudice mm-hmm. you know when you first see something and you're stoked about it you tend to be uh 
you know, either higher or lower on it, and, and you do what I talked about with the internet, where everything's the best or the worst. Uh, and this was so good that I walked out, and you know, you want to say, oh, this is the best, this is great, this is Jaws. It was really, really good. It, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. It definitely has a rewatching uh, ability, uh, and I plan to see it multiple times, you know, when when it's available uh, at home. I don't see really much in the way of flaws to the movie, so that's kind of adds to it as well. I just don't feel it hits that ultimate high to put it at Jaws. I think I think what I'd say is it's a very high Jaws two, and I think that's kind of I think again I think we're pretty much in agreement on that. Uh, I, I look forward to seeing where they're going to go next with this. To be honest with you. I think it's one of the things, one of the challenges when you have this much going on in a film. I think the difference between the other two movies and this one, and it's not knocking this movie, because I think what they did with this was very ambitious and they did it well. And I will watch it over and over again because of how well that they did it. But I think with the other two movies, because they were more intimate, you got a longer time frame with the themes and the characters and you got to see them develop more in that process, which I know is insane with how much development you get in this film. But I think I think you needed to do this film the way that you did. So I'm, I wouldn't I, I'm with you. I don't think there's any flaws I can really start poking at in this movie. I, I love it for what it is and in what it needed to be for this type of film. It's it's a it's an interesting sort of film to talk about. <laughs> Yeah, and it's it's like like I said, it definitely is going to have a, a rewatchability uh, that I will value very much. Uh, you know, as as we've gotten into Phase Four of Marvel, you know, we've gotten Black Widow, we've got Shang Chi, and now we have this. Oh, and we have the Eternals, which I still have yet to see. Uh, so I haven't seen the Eternals, but and I haven't reviewed either Shang Chi or uh, Black Widow yet. I thought just in a nutshell, that those were enjoyable movies unto themselves. But neither of them got me stoked for where we're going in Phase 4. This movie did. So I think that that speaks volumes. I think it also is, I think you're making an interesting point there, because what's unique about the Spider-Man movies is this Sony universe technically is also its own thing. Um, there's the Sony-verse that is part of the MCU-ish. And it's interesting to talk about that. And it's I think it's critical for Disney and Sony to keep this relationship going. Because I, I think there's something important about feeling this Spider-Man or Spider- this, you know, Spider-Man in general is part of this MCU that they're creating. Because I think it's good for Disney. I think it's good for the MCU. I think it's also good for Sony. I think it's also good for the Spider-Man universe. I think everybody wins on this one. So whatever it's taking, because we hear rumblings of, you know, there's only so many films that are in this, and then they had to negotiate again to get another film. I'm hoping they continue finding ways to negotiate and work this out, because I think this is... it's an important film, it's series, 
to the MCU now. Um, and I'm hoping that Disney recognizes it, and I'm hoping Sony recognizes that rub they get from the MCU still and doesn't get overconfident by the fact that this film's doing really well, but I think it's doing really well because of all of it together. Not, I wouldn't take the MCU out of it by any stretch. Um, I, I, I think you're right. I, I am excited for more MCU because of this, and that's good for both of these properties. You know, both the MCU and the Spider-Man family of films. Yes, definitely. So, uh, you know, just as a teaser, uh, you know, I said I have not reviewed those other movies. Uh, for anybody listening up to this point, uh, our original plan was that uh, Sean and I were going to do Shang-Chi as our next movie, but we kind of jumped Spider-Man ahead of it. So in all likelihood, barring something else coming up, That'll probably be the next time uh, you'll hear Sean and I talking. Uh, so hopefully, uh, I'm hoping that the people listening will be looking forward to that. Uh, and I want to just take a moment once again to thank you for coming on because uh, this is a lot of fun. Oh, I I, enjoy, I really, really enjoy talking film and, and the opportunity to really be able to give film um, the kind of in-depth discussion that we we were able to do together. So thank you for having me as a guest. And I, re I really appreciate uh, this opportunity. This was fun for me and I hope it's fun for your listeners. Before we walk away, uh, always, I always think it's a good idea for you to tell uh, the listeners where else they can find you on a regular basis. So I, I do a, a weekly podcast, Raging Bullets, as a DC Comics fan podcast. Um, it's a lot of it's it's comic book related discussion or really DC related discussion, very similar to what we did here. And uh, RagingBullets.com is where you can find us, and we're available on all podcatchers. And certainly, uh, if you've never checked us out before, we'd love to have you uh, give us a listen. So thank you for the opportunity. Oh, very cool. Thank you again, and thank you, everybody, for listening. And uh, we'll see you soon. Hello, Peter. From the Sanctum Sanctorum. I need to get a camera eye. <laughs>